You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Friday the 17th of February. And I'm coming to you not from TW11, but from uh, Lodge Number 417 at uh, Woburn Centre Parks. Thanks to Tom for all his hard work this week. It's been a glorious week here as well. It's been a, a great few days to, to have off. It's now absolutely blowing a gale and pretty damp here, but quite warm this morning. And a little later in the show, we'll be reporting on Sheen Murphy's comeback at Chelmsford, which yielded a winner. Uh, for the man that you will be hearing from Racing TV's Chris Dixon. And we will also be uh, heading to Melbourne to pick up news from the Asian Racing Conference with Alex Frost, the chief executive of the UK Tote Group, who's got some interesting news of Worldpool. But first of all, our lead story this morning is that Tom Scudamore has decided to retire after a 25-year career in the saddle that has yielded 1,500 winners over jumps under rules exactly. Uh, I spoke to him a little earlier on today, and this is what he had to say. I've, I've retired as immediate effect. Um, I suffered a concussion at uh, Chepstow um, two weeks ago, um, and you know came came through everything absolutely fine. Um, but you know, uh, obviously, you get to a certain age and you you, you don't fall so well, and um, it had taken me in myself a bit longer to get over it than um than usual and i just felt it was a bit of a warning sign you know there's lots of physical injuries you can you can have and you can cope with um but you know i i, I do think with the obviously with the head and with the brain um you've got to be sensible and i think probably you know, somebody's telling me something it's funny because I shouldn't be surprised that you're you're retiring because you've been riding for twenty five years, and it is it's a staggering length of uh, of career. You started in in July nineteen ninety eight. It's you know it's my entire working life, but you know jockeys have have gone on that little bit longer the last few years. How are you kind of coming to terms with it? How are you getting your head around it? Um, look, I've obviously known that this day was going to come, and I suppose perhaps it's easier for me having grown up in and around racing. Obviously, with granddad, obviously I didn't see, I wasn't around when he retired, but um, so, you know, seeing how dad coped with it all, um, you know, you, you've got to be realistic. You know that day is going to come, and you know maybe the, there's there's a part of you that thinks you can go on forever, but yeah, you can't. And you, you all the way through my career, I've always had it drilled into me that you've got to be prepared for the day because one, you might not be expecting it. And two, the chances of you deciding what day that's going to be are very, very slim. So I've always um, you know, been, been aware of that. And I suppose that was, that was drilled into me because my grandfather, uh, he had a very bad fall um, and had to retire. So, you know, even though the career dad had, and obviously the career granddad had, you know, growing up and, and during my career, it was always pointed out that no matter how successful you were, no matter how well things were going, you always had to plan ahead. Um, and I've always been able to do that. So 
um, yeah, it, it, it's something I wouldn't say it, it's something I've if you had this day in mind or anything like that. It, it was it's just something that I, I knew was was coming, and it was just a matter of when. And unfortunately for me, um, it's now. And I, I was just looking at the statistics. You've been incredibly consistent. I know there was a there was a flurry where you were riding 100, 150 winners a season. But even since then, you've been knocking in the 60s and 70s. And and this season, you were up to 56 winners already. To what extent does it give you satisfaction, if you like, that you're you're bowing out with any obvi- without any obvious signs of, of your powers being on the way? I'm very proud of, of what I've achieved. And yeah, it was a great thrill to ride you know, sort of five, six years ago, 100, 150 winners consistently. Um, you know, obviously I was very lucky. You know, that was when sort of David had um, a yard full of very good horses, and you know, I sort of you know, backed along along on that. Um, but the last few years has been more about quality than, than quantity. Um, I've been very fortunate to ride you know, a couple of Hennessy winners or Coral Gold Cup winners. Now, got to use can't, can't call it Hennessy, can I? Um, Coral Gold Cup winners and a Scottish Grand National winner, and you know, to. I've had a lot of big winners in the last few years and, and, and that again has given me great satisfaction and, and, and to still sort of be in demand when a good spare comes up as well. Um, you know, always, always put a spring in my step. So um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm very proud of what I've achieved and, and, and what I've done in the sport and from a personal point of view, although it never weighed on me being a Scudamore or anything like that, there was, you know, a pressure on you that you didn't want to be the one to drop the baton, to let the side down, to be the fool. So um, to ride as many winners as I have over a long career and big winners and Cheltenham Festival winners, you know, I can um, very proudly look my grandfather and father in the eye and say, I did my bit to carry it, carry it all along and um, I didn't let anybody down. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, from a personal point of view, I'm very proud of that, but I'm very proud of all my all my achievements, and I'm sure um, my children and wife will be listening to them for many years to come. And there was just one thing that struck me that memory from my childhood, really, I suppose, when your dad announced his own retirement, having been champion jockey, however many times it was, um, it took everyone by surprise because he just did it. <laughs> he did it spur of the moment, one morning, Ascot, Sweet Duke, right? That's going to be my last ride. Done out. And it was, um, yeah. it, 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 it sort of slightly reminiscent of that, really. Yeah. Um, uh, again, I'm, I'm a great believer in you know, every, every, each to their own. Um, but, you know, in life, it's not something you can either do, you can't do it half-hearted. And I think if I'd said I was going to go out on this day, get through Cheltenham, get through Aintree, um, I'd be A, kidding myself and, and, and B, you know, I didn't want to be in a position where I was letting anybody else down, you know, going through the motions in that time because, you know, riding for, for, for David and the pipes for as long as I had, the one thing that was always um, made very apparent to you that it didn't matter what day, it was all very important and that, you know, every single horse in training, no matter what they achieved, <laughs> you know, their fees all cost the same. So, you know, you had to be as good at Plumpton on a Monday as you were at Cheltenham. Um, you know, at the festival. So I didn't want to go through the motions to that point. Um, I've got pride in, in what I do. And, you know, I, I wanted to keep that pride. I didn't want to be the one saying, oh, he's he's gone or, you know, that that competitive edge in him has, has diminished somewhat. So, um, yeah, it's it's right. 
it's time and you know it's it's you know <laughs> i get wound up i'm saying you're retiring it's it's not retiring i'm just changing jobs <laughs> but you're not quite sure what to yet <laughs> i've got a good idea in my mind what i'll do um it's just a case of seeing what opportunities come along as well um you know i'm, I'm very lucky i've had some you know hopefully do a uh, plenty of media work um i've had some good offers to do that um i've had a couple of offers, offers to do one or two other little things so um look it's a case of, 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 of taking back see take some advice to see what what the best option is for me and um you know i'd like to think whatever i go into next in the next uh, few weeks or months you know I'll, again um have the longevity i was able to enjoy as a jockey uh, everyone will ask you this but who was the best you rode uh, it's a very simple question. <laughs> Thistle crack yeah. um, on his on his on his day was fantastic. Look, I, I was very very lucky. I rode a lot of very good horses and um, had a lot of very nice winners. Um, but Thistle crack for that time for about eighteen months, and he always had injury issues, and the injuries unfortunately stopped him in the end. Um, but for those eighteen months, um, all he had to do was turn up, and all I had to do was get there on time. And you know that was yeah, that, that was a fantastic period. Tom Scudamore there, who has called time on his career after 1,500 rules winners over jumps. A nice round number, a quarter of a century career. Rishi Passad joins me this morning. Rishi was quite striking there that one of the key themes that came across was his, the fact that he could, he could look his, his father and, and the time his late grandfather in the face and say, you know, I've, I've not let you down. You know, you guys have laid foundations of incredible careers and I'm the third generation and 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 I haven't, I haven't let the side down. And I think that sort of sums up Tom Scudamore's style and career. That fact that he's 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 been a uh, someone who has has pleased a lot of people in racing. He's been a, a great ambassador for the sport, as you obviously highlighted. He, he comes from a racing dynasty. His grandfather Michael, his father Peter, obviously <laughs> a high standard that they set particularly his dad, Peter, and it was always going to be hard to achieve that. But Tom's done a pretty good job in, in following in his footsteps. Uh, a wonderful career associated with some superb racehorses. But I think above it all, and I know we often get a little bit soppy at the end of someone's career and we talk about the man more than the, more than the athlete, um, but certainly as, a, as, a, as an ambassador for the sport, he has been one of the, the shining lights. Um, and I, I suspect he will go on being a great ambassador for the sport uh, now that he's hung up his riding boots. Uh, yeah, he's someone who who the sport has often called upon for for guidance. He's I think taken his role as a a senior jockey quite quite seriously. Twenty five years is a is a a serious duration for for any sporting career, let alone a, a, as a jump jockey. I know we're becoming quite accustomed to it now, but mm. re- really, he's he started at the same time as McCoy. Yeah, it's an incredibly uh, long career that he's had and and at a high level for a long time. And obviously being a Scudamore, he would have been in the spotlight straight away. So it's it's not a career that's um, that would have been the easiest to handle from a young age, but he's obviously grown into it quite comfortably and he's handled the pressure of being associated with uh, the pipe team and associated with a lot of top trainers and uh, and horses and owners over a long time. And he's, he's always looked at ease with the job. Um, and 
it's I guess it's the relationships that he's had with the horses more than anything else that normal racing fans like myself will remember. And he highlighted the fact that Thistlecrack would be the best horse he's ridden and some of the memories of Thistlecrack bounding away in the old world hurdle or the stairs hurdle as it once again is now uh, is certainly a vivid memory. Thistlecrack winning the King George, etc. I mean, actually, they've had a, a lot of success uh, as a pair just looking back on, on their record. But he's also been associated with some, some old warriors that uh, I think a lot of people will have uh, remembered and at this moment of, of his retirement will look back on fondly. I guess I guess Lock Dirk would be uh, one of the names that a lot of people will remember. I mean, he wasn't the easiest horse to ride, but Tom Scudamore certainly got the best out of him, like he did so many good horses. All right, in other news, the eagerly awaited comeback of Oshin Murphy, which yielded success last night at Chelmsford on his first ride back. The horse was called Jupiter Express. Now, by, by happy coincidence... Racing TV's reporter at Chelmsford last night also happens to be one of the owners of Jupiter Express. Step forward Chris Dixon, who also happens to be the agent to Tom Scudamore. Um, so it's a, an interesting morning all round, Chris. First of all, what was the atmosphere like at Chelmsford last night for the uh, return of Murphy? Yeah, it was a, it was a low-key return for a team, wasn't it, Nick? Um, but yeah, it was different at Chelmsford last night. Even when you turned up, there was... Few more people in the press room, few photographers, a reports from the Racing Post. That's not often the case when you turn up for a, a Thursday night at Chelmsford. Um, and there was definitely a few more race goers, certainly a few more around the winners' enclosure um, after after Jupiter Express had, had fortunately gone on and won. Um, so yeah, it was different. There was a nice atmosphere and, and a very warm reception for Ashin, who had um, a few members of his family there, his partner was there, his, his uncle Jim Colotti um, was there, he came down to the, the winner's enclosure afterwards as well, but there was a, a warm reception and um, I think a lot of people very pleased to see uh, Asheen back. Um, when the agent rang you and said, right, there's a there's a ride available, clearly can, can Asheen ride, um, what was your reaction? Yeah, I mean, he, Gavin had spoken to Mick, um, who's supported Asheen uh, plenty, and Asheen's ridden for us a lot and had plenty of winners for us. So when Gavin rang, he actually rang and asked if he could ride politics in the following race initially. Um, but Jason Watson has, has been getting a good tune out of him, uh, and it made more sense to put Asheen onto politics in, in the first race because Tom Markland had ridden him last time. Tom wasn't around. We weren't sort of taking anyone off. The horse had a, a good chance, um, straightforward sort of horse, and um, we thought that was probably the way to go. So um, Asheen came along and, and rode him, and there was no reason to not put him up. He's a top rider, we know that much, and he kind of knew that he was going to be coming back in good shape. So there was no worries on, on that front, and we were very happy to just um, give Asheen the, the chance and hopefully ride a few more for us this year. Uh, I was quite struck in his interview with you afterwards on Racing TV. He seemed uh, all business. He seemed to want to... Um, portray someone who was uh, intent and uh, and focused almost to the point where he was he was forgetting it was in fact you that had given him the ride on the horse <laughs> yeah he, he was he was very much in the zone i think he, he cut a very different figure last night did a sheen so the one the last time i'd sort of i'd seen him a couple of times at the sales and things but the last time i'd sort of seen him on a race course um as a licensed rider was back at Nottingham at the end of that towards the end of that battle with William Buick for the title and at that point he didn't look right he looked under a lot of pressure he didn't look well to be honest last night he looked a little bit anxious and nervous um, 
but much happier and, and in a better place. And he looked very fit and, and healthy. They were the main things. And I think he just wanted to get yesterday out of the way. He knew everyone was looking. I did sort of message him. We were chatting about the, the tactics for the race. I said, did he want to do anything before the race on TV? But he very much just wanted to get down to business, let the horse uh, run his race. And if he won, was happy to speak. And that's exactly what he did afterwards. But um, he's a, a very professional rider in, in all ways, is the Sheen. And I thought it, it was kind of that way afterwards as well. Just a quick word on Tom Scudamore. Chris, you've been representing him this uh, this season for his last few few winners. Um, what's, he, what's he been like to deal with? Oh, I'm t- talking about professional, unbelievable. Um, he's some man, he's, he's Tom Scoo. Um Absolute pleasure to deal with. Uh, I spoke to him. I must have been one of the first people that he mentioned uh, his decision to because he was still sat at Leicester. Um, I'd watched the race from near Chelmsford doing some work on the card and um, I saw the, the on-seat from, you know, Yousef who made that mistake and my immediate impression was just, is he all right? And he got up and stood up. But then I, I wasn't surprised when he called me. We'd, we'd had a good chat last week. I'd seen him. He'd been up at David O'Mara's um, for a few days when he'd been stood down after that Chelmsford fall, obviously. And I, I had a, um, a bit of a chat to him then. He wasn't intimating at all, but he was thinking of retiring. But I think he just knew yesterday um, that, that, that that was it after that. But um, unbelievable to work with. Absolute pleasure to deal with. Um, he he just gets the game, doesn't he? And um, yeah, he I, I couldn't speak more highly of him, to be honest. Yeah, Chris Dixon there. Rishi's still with me. Rishi, this return of of Asheen Murphy, it's a it's been a curious one to behold the the reaction to it, hasn't it? Because I, we've not really seen too many bans of this nature, um, you know, banned for multiple uh, breaches of uh, of the alcohol rules, and and obviously the most significant um, breach was the was the COVID issue when he. Mm. He disappeared to a country that was on the red list and then misled investigators. And it, it seems to have gone by in the blink of an eye, even though it was you know, well over a year that he's been off. Yeah, um, obviously, it's been well documented. Uh, the issues that uh, Sheen Murphy's had off the course, and obviously you've um, pinpointed a couple of his offences for alcohol and the COVID uh, issues. Um a lot of what he is saying sounds like the right things. I heard the interview he did with Chris after uh, he won on his comeback ride at Chelmsford. He's saying all the right things. Uh, he seems to have the right attitude. It was a very good ride, by the way. <laughs> uh, he didn't look rusty at all in that comeback ride at Chelmsford. Um, but as I was told in, in the, the scouts as a young teenage boy, res non verba, it's deeds, not words. And Sheen Murphy now has to, to prove it. He has to prove that the words that he's saying are backed up by the deeds. Um, and we are looking at, obviously, a great talent for the sport, for Sheen Murphy, um, you know, for, for the fans of the sport. You want to see him competing, competing clean, competing at high level and without any distractions off the racetrack. And if he can do that, then he's obviously going to go very close to winning the title again. And he and William Buick could have a wonderful battle. But the proof is in the pudding. He's spoken a very good game. Now he has to live up to it. Yeah, and as we said last week, his first really high-profile ride is going to be on Miss the Cut in that Neom turf in Saudi Arabia next week for George Bowie. And George Bowie was on Luck on Sunday last week and sort of suggesting that he might try and use him a little bit more. But he'd been associated with all sorts of other jobs as well. There'll be a there'll be a Gosden job mm. coming up in in not too long. You would have you would have thought, given Frankie's retirement, yeah. impending retirement. But it'll take 
quite something to take him away from from Kingsclear. I would have thought, particularly with his with his comments yesterday. Yeah, and I think I think the last twelve to eighteen months for Ashin Murphy would have probably highlighted him more than any other time in his life the importance of those around him who've supported him at what has been a challenging time for him. Some of it, obviously, but most of it by his own admission, being his own fault. Um, so you would you would hope and imagine that he will stay loyal, rely. And those people, and obviously, he's got a very close relationship with the Baldings at Kingsclay. He's got a very close relationship with Sheikh Farhad, who stuck by him through all the trials and tribulations. I, I imagine there'll be a whole host of offers. I mean, there always are offers uh, for, the, for the very best. And he is one of the very best. Um, but you would think that considering all that's gone over the last 12 to 18 months, that um, he might reward those that have stayed loyal and supported him. All right. Well, we've been hearing plenty over the last few days from Lee Mottishead and others uh, what's happening in Melbourne uh, this week at the Asian Racing Conference. Now, a lot of the focus on, on social media and a lot of the focus um, worldwide media has been on, on Julie Harrington's uh, speech and her comments surrounding the whip. That was dealt with quite extensively yesterday. There's been an awful lot else going on that, that may have rather more fundamental repercussions for the finances of the sport. To that end, I'm joined now by the chief executive of the UK Tote Group, uh, Alex Frost. Now, Alex, there was a, a very interesting um, speech by Winfried Engelberg Breskus, who is the, the boss of, of Hong Kong Racing and uh, chairman of the International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities. What was the, what was the thrust of it? There's plenty going on out here, just in, in terms of the next steps within Whirlpool. I think um, the point that Winfried was very keen to make was just how much more volume is likely to come through and thus revenues from the current program of, of whirlpool fixtures um, lots of talk of new bet types um, new countries coming in and greater awareness so we should expect um, big upticks in volume um, in whirlpool going forward but i think you know what was possibly most interesting um, in the presentation he gave um, alongside myself was um, just that he expects whirlpool fixtures in total to go to 100 which is obviously and a big step forward from the 30-odd, which is where we're at currently. And at the moment, you've got 30 Whirlpool fixtures. 17 of those took place in the UK last year. If it expands to 100, would you expect commensurate expansion? So, say, three and a half times the amount in the UK. Is, is the UK a particularly attractive market for, for, for a global tote audience? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's going to sort of possibly follow um, the launching top 100 um, races. That's that's very much the thrust of things at the moment, which brings in the, the likes of the July Cup. Um, the, the Eclipse could should um, get back in, um, but generally, yeah, UK racing, you know, as we've said many times, in its time zone, um, level of integrity um, and quality of racing is extremely opposition. And I think what's also interesting out here is just how many new countries are coming to the fold when it comes to things like Whirlpool. Um, you know, we've got I think sixty. Um, JRA um, delegates at, at the conference um, and I think it's almost 40 other countries represented so huge interest and, and pool betting's notoriety in Asia is obviously a, a very powerful force when it comes to discussing world pool. Alright Alex, just finally you're there, you can, you can hear the mood music um, there's been much written and quite understandably as well uh, about some of the comments in, in Julie Harrington's speech um, I'm guessing that that's not the headline on the ground at the Asian Racing Conference. What what would you say are your key 
key points to take away from it? Yeah, no, I've been here all week and I was quite surprised to see Ambo's headlines in the Racing Post. I think the attitude towards UK horse racing is overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, I think in terms of what I was just saying about, you know, where we sit, um, you know, the quality of horse racing in the UK is, is well, well appreciated in the history. Um, but in terms of the thrust of conversation out here, I mean, it's overwhelmingly positive on, term, you know, in terms of the growth opportunities that horse racing has. There was tremendous enthusiasm. Though it's, it's very refreshing, quite frankly, to, to be talking about things other than uh, affordability and, and whip issues that I guess you guys are really focused on um, this week more than anything. But, you know, over here, it's a very, very different approach in terms of, you know, what, what they're trying to do with the sport, which is, you know, a huge focus on growth, next generation um, stuff is, is, is what everyone's referring to and, and, you know, what all these conferences have been about, which has been hugely inspiring, I must say. All right, that was uh, Alex Frost, the Chief Executive of the UK Tote Group, ending on a pretty positive note. Um, Frost positivity there, Rishi Passad, um, somewhat at right angles to, to the headlines that have been making their way over here. But it's not a surprise that um, that we've been we've been measuring on this whip issue here because it's it's one that's that's that, that seems to get everybody going. Um, but interesting what he had to say about the the expansion of whirlpool days, and that will make a huge difference to to the sports finances if 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 there's a, a commensurate increase in whirlpool days in the UK because they were generating you know, reputedly. Um, between three quarters of a million and a million pounds for race courses on each day last year. Well, it's not a surprise that the number of whirlpool days is increasing. Um, hopefully, a large portion of that increase will also uh, be at British race courses. But um, as you have pointed out, the fact is that it's earning British race courses money. So I can imagine that those race courses have pushed. Uh, for more whirlpool days, and it, it does obviously make sense to earn money for the for the sport, which is terrific. The other point you touched on, obviously, the whip rules is something that you know uh, it's been well documented on the podcast, particularly this week. But it, it's extraordinary to see the the depth of feeling, uh, and it, it's not it's not hard to understand the depth of feeling that everyone has for this particular issue because they feel that their sport is under threat, our sport is under threat. Um, you know, the social media reaction to what um, Julie Harrington said earlier in the week at the Asian Racing Conference uh, has been quite vociferous um, and un almost unanimous in condemning the manner in which she has uh, led the approach of, you know, sort of dismissing the fact that it could be a danger, changing the rules or bedding in and now having the rules as they are for the Cheltenham Festival and her own assertion that, um, you know, Cheltenham Festival is a showcase for the sport. Just seeing what people think of that um, is extraordinary. I mean, um, obviously, we've got our own views on it. My personal view is that um, it should be should have been delayed till after Cheltenham and Aintree. Um, I think she's she herself has said that um, there's an element of risk involved, and you know why why increase the element of risk now in the world that we live in today? You want to try and reduce it as much as you can. So I would have been off that ilk, but. Um, Yes, yeah, good news and bad news is the way I see it coming from the Asian Racing Conference so far this week. But good news with the Whirlpool Days increase. Um, not so happy with um, with the assertion of, of Julie Harrington. Have you seen the poster of Aplutar promoting the Cheltenham Festival with Rachel Blackmore? I have. Rachel Blackmore appears to have no whip in her hand. Uh, um, so the whip's been airbrushed out of the picture. And I should add, this isn't the first time this is, I've, I've seen this happen. This it was first, I'm trying to remember who it was. I want to say, 
I want to say it was Mike Smith on Zenyatta, but there was oh, a poster really? you there was a poster used maybe five six years ago in America yeah. where where it was the first time I'd seen a whip airbrushed. I guess for anybody within the sport, we will see it and we will think, well, "What's happened to Rachel?" They've obviously airbrushed it, and we'll notice. I guess the other the question is, will the normal person in the street who isn't a racing fan notice that Rachel Blackmore is not carrying a whip? Um, as much as they would have noticed that she was carrying a whip and it would have been an issue for them. I guess that's the, that's the question to ask, but I think it's, it's unnecessary because we, we are supposed to have to have faith and belief in our sport, knowing that the whip doesn't hurt horses. So why are we airbrushing it out? All right, Rishi, you're a big fan of Sandown Park, aren't you? Massive, massive fan. It's very close to home. It is very close to home, but very close to your heart. And both. And home is where the heart is. Now, Imperial Cup Day is the traditional eve of Cheltenham fixture, Saturday the 11th of March. And we have teamed up with Sandown Park to secure an exclusive offer for you, listeners to the Nick Luck Daily. Using the code NL10, you can secure half price tickets to the grandstand enclosure on Betfair Imperial Cup Day on Saturday the 11th of March. And that's up to a maximum of four tickets per order. If you go to thejockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Sandown, add your Imperial Cup tickets to your basket and enter your code, you can get your grandstand enclosure tickets for just a tenner. You've got to hurry while stocks last because, Rishi Passad, there's only 500 of these. So wow. we want to make sure all those 500 are taken at a tenner. That's pretty good, isn't it? Sandown for a tenner that's- on Imperial Cup Day. That's very good value, I have to say. I'm not just saying that because I'm on the NL10 podcast, but it is very good value. It is a terrific race course. I, I don't need to tell people who go racing, who listen to this podcast, how good it is to go to Sandown and watch the action. It's For me, it's one of the best viewing courses in the country. You don't need the big screen all the time. You don't need a pair of binoculars. You can actually watch the racing with your own eyes. Okay, so there you go. Thejockeyclub.co.uk forward slash Sandown and use that code NL10 and you'll get your grandstand enclosure tickets for a tenner. Of course, it's also great to go to Ascot, which is where many of us will be going tomorrow for the Grade 1 Ascot chase. Um, it's a, this is a really intriguing race. Is it, is it the defending champion Fakir Duderis to lose? Well, maybe not, because the, the mighty figure of Shishkin is in there, but what sort of Shishkin can we expect? And the bang-informed Pick Dory, and they're not the only ones. How do you see it playing out? It's a tough one. Nick, because Fakir Duderi on what he did last year and the horse that he's been for the last few seasons is just about the standard setter at this distance. Uh, Shishkin, we just don't know where he stands at the moment. And he, as good as he was over two miles, we still have to see whether or not he will be as good uh, over this particular distance. And both Fakir Duderi and Shishkin, I think even though Fakir Duderi won last time out, it's fair to say both horses haven't been at their peak this season or for a while um Fakir Duderi might be building up to that peak but in contrast Pick Dory has been getting better and better with every run and I thought his win at Kempton last time was very very impressive um obviously he won the, the Peterborough Chase at Huntingdon as well he's just been in wonderful form this season and I think Paul Nichols has highlighted the fact that he's sort of become a man of a horse he's grown up he's no longer a boy but the only caveat to that is I spoke to Harry Cobden after he won at Kempton and I interviewed him of the belief that Harry Cobden would have been blown away by what he did at Kempton. And when I suggested Asker Chase, Ryanair might be a, a way forward for, for Pick Dory, um, he said to me, 
he's a very good grade two horse um, and left the question as to whether or not he's he, he didn't he didn't fill me with confidence that he was ready to make that jump uh, to to the highest level and to to win a or, you know to win an Ascot Chase potentially win a Ryanair um, so it just shook my faith a little bit in what Pictori can do Paul Nichols is is strong in the opinion um, but I, as you say it's a really good race I'd prefer to be with the horse who's in form so I'd stick with Pictori. And while we're on the subject of urging you to go racing, uh, you're probably not going to need too much of an excuse if you are blessed with the amount of race courses uh, in the county of Yorkshire. And I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Charlotte Russell, who's the general manager for Go Racing in Yorkshire, because time is running out, Charlotte, to get your hands on a, a season ticket for 2023. Just give me the details. It is indeed, Nick. Yes, the um, the season ticket runs from the 1st of April this year to the 31st of March next year. There's 189 days racing. It's grandstand and paddock enclosure uh, for all the meetings. That includes York Seaboard meeting and St Ledger Saturday at Doncaster, which is new for this year. Um, there's also eight Yorkshire County Cricket Club reciprocal days, and it's £420 for a single and £695 for a joint, and um, bookings must be in by the end of this month. That includes um, all the, you know, the, the big uh, Group 1 meetings at York and Doncaster and, and across uh, all the courses. Um, we've got the ladies' days, the family days, the music nights. It's every single meeting. We've got racing, um, we, you know, we race every week. That's 60 weekend and bank holiday fixtures and 27 evening fixtures as well. Thanks to Charlotte Russell there. Now, time is running out if you wish to bid on one of the five stallion nominations all proceeds of which are going to two cystic fibrosis charities, causes that are very close to, to my family's heart. Uh, you've been amazingly generous so far. I'm thinking we might raise nearly £50,000 in this auction, the way things are going at the moment. Bidding closes, 6 o'clock on Sunday. There's Golden Horn, the Derby winner. Our dad, champion, first season sire, brilliant sire of two-year-olds, of course, as well. We've got rich history coming from Ireland. A half-brother to Kiprios has already covered 107 national hunt mares in his first season. Stradivarius has joined the team, the stayer, legendary stayer of a lifetime, kindly donated by Bjorn Nielsen. And David Ward got in on the act with Starman, the European champion sprinter. What an opportunity to get into him. Six o'clock, this closes on Sunday. Airauctioneer.com forward slash nick-luck-charity-auction. Airauctioneer.com forward slash nick-luck-charity-auction. Uh, bidding closes six on Sunday. And it, it, amazing how generous the horse racing industry is in times of need. Uh, Oliver St. Lawrence, who is the uh, stallion nomination uh, supremo, has managed to gather together 70, no fewer than 70 nominations for auction. And they go up on Monday on the Tattersall's online website, closing Tuesday lunchtime. And this is for uh, jointly for Ukraine, appeal for Ukraine, and also for the uh, victims of the Syria and Turkey earthquake. So an enormous amount potentially going to be raised for those two outstanding causes. And you can go on the Tattersall's website from this afternoon to see those. And I'll be talking to Oliver on the podcast on Monday. Now, Rishi is still with me. Rishi, you're in uh, Dubai uh, at the moment. Um, good racing in Maidan this afternoon. Yeah, very good card today, Nick, at Maidan. A lot of good racing. I mean, there's the UAE Oaks, but the Phillies 
quality is a little bit low. Mimi Kakushi should win that for Mikhail Barcelona and Salim Ben Gadaya. I guess the horse that would attract most attention today will be in the Dubai Millennium Stakes, and it's a horse that we all know pretty well. You in particular would have probably seen him in North America a few times. That's Nation's Pride. He was quite well fancied for the Derby. Didn't seem to go around Epsom very well, but he went over to North America. He won the Saratoga Derby. Um, I thought he ran all right, actually. I was a bit disappointed with him at the Breeders' Cup, but having looked back at the race again, I didn't think it was too bad. He starts off in what looks to be a very simple race. I think he's around even money. I, I thought that would be a good price because I think he would outclass these. So looking forward to seeing him win today. And I think uh, Charlie Appleby is talking about the Jebel Hatter, the Dubai Turf, Super Saturday and World Cup night for him. So he's the star attraction. All right. And what about a tip for today? Actually, I, I really like one in the sprint uh, at Maidan today, Nick. Um, in the second race at Maidan, uh, it's a six furlong sprint. There's a horse called Batwan, uh, who won a couple of times here last year for Nicola Coyery, uh, Mikhail Barcelona run again. He's got a good draw. Got stuck in soft ground here at Maidan, not something that we often say, but at the end of January, he ran in soft ground. So put a line through that. I think the better ground today from a good draw, I think he'll be hard to keep out the frame. That's one. Richie, thanks so much. Um, thank you very much for listening. That was Friday, February the 17th. Again, no Saturday edition today because Charlotte is still away, but she'll be back on Monday. We will see you after the weekend. Enjoy it. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.